Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. If you know me, you know how obsessed I am with live performance. To me, nothing replaces being in a theater and the lights going down and the orchestra starts to play and that first moment of magic. And I know the way I feel about theater, some people feel about sports or opera or dance or comedy or food. And what if there was a place that you could go and find out which live events are going on near you that night, and then for a discount price, you can get off your couch, put down that clicker, and experience the magic that is live performance. Well, there is a place, goldstar.com. You just go to that website, you type in your city, and every amazing live event will be listed at discount prices. Theater, dance, comedy, film, food, concerts, sports. No more staying home. You are going to go out and build memories and experiences that expand your mind and heart through live performance with goldstar.com. Goldstar is in 26 cities around the country with over 8 million members already signed up to find out what event is going on near you. So go to goldstar.com. Get out of your house and build memories that are magic for you and your family. Expand your mind, expand your hearts. Go see live performance by using goldstar.com. Tell them Alana sent you. Okay, I'm going to try to put into words the experience I had tonight in seeing Pulitzer Prize winning playwright Stephen Adley Gurgis's play, Halfway Bitches Go Straight to Heaven, that's currently at the Atlantic Theatre Company and uh, a co-production between the Labyrinth Theatre Company and Atlantic, two of New York's most extraordinary theatre companies. Halfway Bitches Go Straight to Heaven is a play that centers on a woman's halfway house in New York City. Characters inhabit this play that feel like people you know, people you see on the streets every day in New York. The way these stories uh, are interwoven with such beauty and pain, suffering and redemption, it really is um, one of those plays that I know I will be thinking of, not just for days to come, but for years to come. He is one of these writers that is able to move you, make you laugh, and you're gutted all at the same time. So it is a commitment seeing this play. It's um, It demands a lot of you, but it gives you so much in return. So go see Halfway Bitches Go Straight to Heaven at the Atlantic Theater. So go to atlantictheater.org for more information about the play and for tickets. And then I hope you'll email me at littleknownfactspodcast at gmail.com. Let me know what you think of the play. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's a lot of and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day. Every little thing's gone.
gonna be a-okay A-okay Hey everyone, welcome back to my conversation with the great actor Willie Garson. When we left off, he was starting to tell us about how he had originally met Sarah Jessica Parker, a lifelong friend, and we all know them as uh, Stanford and Carrie from Sex in the City. So here we go. Part two of Willie Garson. A-okay. All of this leads me to ask, did you have to audition for Sex in the City? Or I did she... audition. I didn't know that she had anything to do with it. Okay. And I went to the I went to network, which is the last audition before you get a show. Mm-hmm. So you go I went to HBO and I showed up and I was the only person for that part, which is really great. Because it's rare. always three. Yeah. So I was the only person, so that's awesome. And the girls in the waiting room who were auditioning for uh, Samantha, Charlotte, and Miranda were sitting around talking in the waiting room. And, they, and one of them said, oh, to, to another one, she goes, oh, do you, do you know who they're talking about for Carrie? I hear they're talking to Sarah Jessica Parker. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hmm? Right. <laughs> I'm like, right. what? Scooby? So I leave, I leave the audition and I call Sarah and I'm like, what? Tell me about uh, Sex in the City. She goes, oh, I might do it. I don't know. She goes, why? What do you know about it? And I said, I, I think I'm playing the part of Stanford. Mm-hmm. And she goes, oh, really? I'm like, yeah. She goes, I don't know. I mean, doing a TV show is so hard. They, yeah. They they write terrible things about you. They say that I look horrible and they just, they're just so mean. Yeah. All the critics and all the fans. Do I want to take that on? And, uh, and she goes, but it's good, right? And I said, yeah, I think it's good. So I like to say that I made her do it, I think which is not ju- true. I think she was leaning against it, and you had yeah, her. Yeah, she leaned let's into go it. with that story. Yeah, I, I don't think that's true. You were like one, a little more honey. But it was great. The pot. But I'll tell you, and it, it was the first, the first shot of the first episode was us together, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, I think it really brought something to it. I mean, because she would, you know, she'd reach over and slap my bald head and stuff. You know, th- that she wouldn't friends. do with some actor no. that she would was cast. Probably you know? not. It takes I mean, she's a, while. a she's a damn good actress, so she would make that relationship. Yeah. But we had that relationship. Yeah. So it, I think it really, I think it really breathed on the show. Like, do you feel like that part changed your career? Um, it did change my career because it was big. It was really successful, and went on um, for a long time. It went on for a long time, and it, and it was, it was just a whole different world. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had done another show, and it was not successful, and I had done a pretty good run on uh, NYPD Blue, which mm-hmm. was pretty, which is a successful show, mm-hmm. but it didn't have the cultural explosion like this show did. Um, so yeah, it, it was, it was, a, it made things a lot different mm-hmm. for sure. Other than financially. Right. <laughs> you lost money on that one. I but lost it was money. Worth it. But it was worth All it. All that yeah. flying back and forth. Yep. Well, well, when I. They didn't have Spirit Airlines then. Not yet. So, yeah. One of the greatest things that happened to you was, by all accounts, 
learning about an organization that that sets up people who want children with p- children who need parents. Yeah. Uh, and that happened to you in like 2008-ish? Um, when did you get involved and when did you go, wait well, a I minute? Had, well, I had been raising money. I'd been doing fundraising for an organization called the Alliance for Children's Rights, which is in Los Angeles. And they don't, they don't do adoptions, but they do the, all the legal work for adoptions. Okay. So it's like the last thing. Um, and it uh, at the time it cost about a thousand dollars, which people hadn't budgeted for. All mm-hmm. the paperwork, doing all the stuff at the court, and I thought it was a really great organization. And someone came to you, and they were like, "Willie, would you come to would you come to a fundraiser?" Uh-huh. And I did. And they're like, "Oh, would you come to another one? And would you talk about it?" And I, so I did. Right. I just really liked it a lot. And then I was seeing someone in Los Angeles. And she didn't want to have a child, which is fine. Mm-hmm. That's what happens when you date, you know, models and actresses. It right. happens all the time. And I was really broken up about it. And I was like 43 or something. And I thought, you know, I really don't care uh, if I never get married. But I really care if I never have a kid. You always wanted to be a parent. Yeah. I, You know, I'd been a big brother. Yep. I'd been a camp counselor. I'd helped with my nephews. It raising was in them. your DNA. Yeah. I just, I just really yeah. like kids. You know, because I think a lot of ways, in the corniest possible way, I think we weren't really allowed to be kids that much in our house. Mm-hmm. And so, like, childhood is something that I think is important and magical. And it's limited. You know, no one says, oh, I wish I was a child for less time. Right. When they're when they get older. That's right. <laughs> um, so I uh, so I when, when that was done, I was like, oh, how do I get, I'll just, maybe I'll just get a kid. Mm-hmm. So I called up the alliance and said, what if I wanted a kid? And they said, wow, that's a oh, you can. Mm-hmm. I said, I have no idea how to do that. And I said, well, there's these two agencies that we work with that we like. And being a single dad is at that time was no one cared right. really and it wasn't a fame thing just no one cared right um and you know and i really want i'd read an article in los angeles that los angeles had more kids in the foster system ready to go than anywhere in the country okay so there's a lot of kids i know there are a lot of kids available mm-hmm. and i there was something to say god bless people who do it a different way mm-hmm. you know i get it right but i just thought why not do it locally in my own town. and through the county like right. it's done? Like people do it. Sure. So they set me up with the nonprofit agency and I started the process. And I just thought, oh, I'll just go along until I don't. Right. And I'll see if I want to do this. So there's parent training. I think it's 40 hours mm-hmm. I think you have to do. And then they do your house training. Uh, and your, um, what's that called? Uh, where, where they, where they say your house is okay. They check your house. Okay. Certification. Okay. They certify your house and you get your personal certification and then you wait and see what's up. So how heavily vetted are you? It's pretty good. Yeah. It's pretty good. So looking back, you it, feel it, like other than them not understanding that all the throw pillows on the couch they were sitting sure. on were stolen. That's right. That's right. Other than that. And my collection of broken glass. They got, those two <laughs> things they swept under the rug. Yeah, yeah. All right. So so you're like, it's an intense um, 
period of time where you're really like – And you're prepared for anything. Yeah. You're not prepared for any specific child. Right. So like you do, it for example – It could be an infant. It could be a teenager, like it whatever. Could be, it could be an infant. So, you know, uh, outlet, outlet plugs. Got um, it. Uh, it can be if it's a if they do a whole session on parent training on uh, if you get a black girl and, and hair. you're a white guy. Well, right. and hair. Right. Like hair is a big thing. Yeah. So I know all about it. Yeah. Like how to do it. Yeah. Um, so uh, th- so it's just uh, it's you're prepared and then you're stamped. You're ready. You've been approved and you're and in the I approved said, pile. And then you can always if there is. A match that comes up, you can always say no, mm-hmm. no judgment, whatever, for any reason. And are you specific? Like I'm looking for, well, I would that's like. What, so this is what I said. I said to my, I said to my social worker, three to five years old, um, male or female. That's it. Right. That was my thing. Three to five years old. Right. Because everyone wants infants. So I just thought three to five would be great because then you have like. A year or so together before any kind of school starts mm-hmm. and, you know, for bonding and then school starts and then I'm on my own. Um, so fine. Uh, you know, time was going by and I was like, all right, well, what, what's going to happen? And finally she called me and said, listen. Oh, oh, and here's my here's the other thing I said. I'm not a good enough person to be a foster parent that the kid is going to be taken away from me. Mm-hmm. So I need a kid that is pretty much cut and dry, ready for adoption. Right. Which is not a thing. Well, it, they're foster, all foster is, kids. Yeah. It's so about at any, at trying any, to work it out with the at biological any point, family. Parent could get out of jail or mm-hmm. get their, get their crap together and like be given to the parent. Right. And they said, okay, well that, that's going to take some time. Right. Cause that's rare. So finally she called me after about six months and said, uh, you should go to an adoption fair. And I went to an adoption fair, which was like the worst place I've ever been in my life. What is that? It's, uh, I, I mean, as horrible as this sounds, but it's true. It's like a pet fair. Mm-hmm. And you are walking around. They make They make stupid little games for the kids to play, but they know what they're doing there. Right. And they all have name tags and their age. And they have numbers underneath if they have uh, siblings because they like to keep them together. And then you walk around with a clipboard and write down kids you're interested in. Mm-hmm. And it was brutal. And uh, I can't believe they. And you, they're up to 15, 16 years old. Do you? So you think see the that... kid. You see the kid who would be thought of as unattractive or right. overweight or whatever, and that no one. And they've been to fifty of these, and they know that they're not getting picked. So like at a horrible singles bar. At two o'clock, you don't make eye contact right. with those kids, right? And that it was so brutal. That's you want to like get all of them. A system you know? that needs to change. Well, I don't know what the answer I, yeah, is. Yeah, I don't know what the answer is either. It's it's brutal. Not, it's brutal. Not good. I met I met Nathan there. Right. So how did that happen? I saw him. Uh, I talked to him. I stalked him mm-hmm. all day. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was he doing? Well, and first, how old was he? first he was he was seven or seven and a half almost, mm-hmm. uh, which was older than I wanted. But he was very tiny. I thought he was like five. Okay. And first, I saw him. He was balancing against a curb, walking on his own, on not his hanging own, out with other like kids. totally like plugged in. I'm like, yeah. okay, I love that kid. And he's got and great then, balance. Great balance, right? Which is <laughs> great. The circus with for you. my for my condition. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
And then I've told this story before. He was he was painting a uh, piggy bank. That one of the things they had to do. Right, that was the so arts had, and like, crafts project. So they had like a ceramic project. whale or something. He was painting, and he was painting it blue and red. And this is my first actual contact with him. So I lean in and I go, "That's great." Uh, and he looks up and like, who is this weird bald guy with yeah. the overly hip glasses? Really <laughs> and, enthusiastic yeah, about my yeah. piggy bag. Uh, and uh, he, I go, are those uh, two colors, blue and red, are those the only colors you're going to paint it? And he looks at me like I'm a lunatic. And he goes, that's the only colors they have? And I said, you know, if you mix blue and red together, you get purple. And he literally looks at me like I have a horn coming out mm-hmm. of my head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I'm like, I'm not kidding. Try yeah. it. And his social worker is standing behind and she sees me and she recognizes me. She knows who I am. And she goes, uh, Mr. Garson. I turn and I go, tell me about this kid. And she tells me about the kid. And, you know, great, amazing story. And he's an amazing survivor. And he's been really been through it. And uh, I go back to the table and Nathan... Like they're planning the break from Sing Sing later that evening. He literally is telling the kids at the table, like, hey, guys, if you mix blue and red, you get purple. Like, like yeah. hey, guys, listen yeah. to me here. Yeah. Like, like, I know. just found out where the keys are. Yeah. 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 And I thought, Keep okay, digging. this kid is a shyster. Right. He would steal a desk lamp from a dressing room. Yeah. I thought, this He's kid, my guy. This kid's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so then I uh, – I, Got to my car. I burst out crying. I found two other kids because you had to write three kids mm-hmm. on your, on your, uh, on your clipboard, clipboard piece of paper. I circled his name. I put stars around it. Arrow like a like a middle school uh, right, diary, like a middle school girl's diary. Yeah. Uh, this is the kid. This is my kid. And I get in the car. I burst out crying because I can't even imagine. Well, what about? There's not enough parents there. Right. What about the other kids? Like I, I'm like I can't even believe this is happening. I call my uh, social worker. It's a Saturday. She's not there with me. Mm-hmm. And I'm literally shaking, crying. And she's like, we sat on the phone for a while. She gets me to breathe and calm down. And I said, I met my kid. You have to get me this kid. She goes, okay, I'll get into it on Monday. Mm-hmm. She calls me Monday afternoon, says, there's a problem. Seven families want Nathan. Mm-hmm. Like, oh. So what does that mean? And why would they go with me? Single father. Right. Travels all over the planet to right. work what the hell? <laughs> like, yeah. She goes, well, you know, his social worker has to meet with each family social worker as lo- and it's a county social worker. So as long as that takes. Yep. So I sat at my desk literally for a month and a half mm-hmm. chain smoking. Mm-hmm. And then one day she called me and said, guess what? They're going play date with you. They want to move ahead with you. So you didn't meet his social worker. Your social worker met with his social worker. Right. Okay. So you, she, she you're has, out of it. So, so, so his social worker and her boss have all the, his file, uh-huh. which for him, he'd been in six, seven homes. Mm-hmm. You know, so he had a huge file. And then my social worker meets with them with my file Got and it. all my training and my, my yep. certification and, and talk about everything that they yeah. know about me. And uh, they decided to go ahead with a play date. And where does that happen? We went to play um, the the mini golf place that was in uh, Karate Kid. Mm-hmm. That's where we went. And do you choose what you're going to do or did they set it up for you? Well, I talked to his social worker and we say, I said, what? And she says, well, people, you can do anything. Mm-hmm. 
I said, I don't know, to roller skate. Right. Move, you know, I said, movie. She goes, well, that's not a good idea because you're not really talking. Right. I said, well, what about just like miniature golf, like arcade place? He goes, oh, yeah, that would be great. I said, oh, there's there's one near – he was living in Whittier. And there's one near there that's really famous from Karate Kid. I said, let's go to that one. She yeah. goes, that's great. Yeah. You know, the and next... you're like, also, I'm bringing Ralph Macchio. Is that, that's right. Is that weird at all? Exactly. Right. Exactly. Well, my case is more Pat Morita, but Pat whatever. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And then we uh, – you know, next one we rode scooters, kick scooters, and went for ice cream. Next one. And is he doing this with other people at the no. time, or just no, no, no? You? Once they decide, because they don't want to confuse the got kid. Got it, got it, got it. So just you. And then, so you start doing it. Then they, I guess, they speak to the kid. Does he know what's happening? Not really, mm-hmm. but and somewhat. He's anyway. I think yeah. she said to him. I, I've asked him about this. She says to him, "Did you like Willie?" Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, he's awesome. And she's like, would you like to see him again? Mm-hmm. And he said, yes. Mm-hmm. So then, and then it becomes And whatever. when this is happening, is he living with a foster family? He's or in, a is foster he in a group family. He's in foster, a foster family that has six kids. Of their own or foster no, kids? six foster kids. She's a bad person. She has six. She's a professional foster mother. Right. She's never adopted any of them. She's doing it for the check. Okay. Yeah. She was bad and bad to the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and then by the third time, he was in, and which made me feel like I was terrified. Yeah. And uh, – but, I, you know, I drive up for our play date, and they had uh, curtains in their front window. At and, the foster home? Yeah. And I'd drive up, and I'd see him quickly. So yeah. he'd been standing there. Waiting. And I'd go in and say to the foster mother, I'd be like, how long has he been standing there? She goes, two hours. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God. And, I, you know, I just fell in love with him. He's just, he's so, you know, everyone's kids are special. But I can say that because he's, I had nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. He came to me special. Right. You know? And uh, so he was how old? So after was about three seven, visits. Yes, yeah, so three visits. Then how we get, then we start, then we start going on play dates alone. Okay. Um, there, all staying there. Yep. So around Whittier. Yep. And then they set a date, a move in date, and they work backwards from that. So the week before the moving date, he's going to spend the weekend. The week before that, he's going to spend one night. Mm-hmm. So we did we did the moving day. It was February twentieth, and it was my birthday. Mm-hmm. It was a Friday. It was moving day. Uh, so I was going to pick him up at, after school with all his crap, and he was going to move in. And how much stuff does he have? He had stuff. Uh, he had a good amount of clothing, mm-hmm. but it's interesting because the charity that Nathan works with now, called Bags for Kids, the when they move from house to house, they move in hefty bags, mm-hmm. which so subconsciously says to them, "What a disgusting you, metaphor! You are garbage. Yeah. Your stuff is garbage. Right? You're disposable." Yeah. So there's a charity called Bags for Kids that gives them luggage. He started a chapter at his school mm-hmm. in California and you know, I had 30 pieces of luggage under my bed that right. I haven't used in 10 years. Right. And we got the first year all stolen. All stolen, of course. They all have different show names yeah, on yeah. it. Yeah. So, <laughs> great. There's lots of kids great job. Around. LA law. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
welcome to the practice. Exactly. Um, uh, but uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. and Mr. Belvedere. I mean, the first the first year at his school, which is you know an expensive private school with rich people, so I get it. But we did over seven hundred bags. So the day he moves in. On your birthday. The day he moved in. February 20th. The day he moved in, I called my old girlfriend and I said, what in holy hell have I done? Mm-hmm. He's in the next room. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. And she was like, just go go watch a movie with him. Mm-hmm. Go you know, teach him how to play solitaire. Mm-hmm. Teach him how to play gin. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever. And uh, it, it, it was amazing. But, you know, at this point, at this point, you know, the physical was very interesting because I hadn't touched him. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if I was supposed to hug him when I said goodbye or right. whatever. So he did it. Okay. On the third or fourth play date. He hugged you. Yeah. And then he started, then he was aware that it was happening. And then he moved in. Mm-hmm. Now, we had almost a year until the adoption. So we still had visitation with his birth mother and his sisters who are adopted elsewhere. Okay. So we would all meet in a park once a month. And but he was living with me and going to school. Did he switch schools when he moved oh, yeah. in with you? He left that school on Friday, February twentieth. He started at the school in our neighborhood on Monday, February twenty third. Yeah. Um, and he would say, "My dad, my father," but he never. No, no, he wouldn't say. He would say Willie. Mm-hmm. Then we were at a play date. He was. He had been living with me for about four months. Mm-hmm. We're at a play date with his family, with his birth mother and his sisters, and they're all Mexican American. They don't really speak a lot of English, and I, and me, right? And so it's pretty strange situation, weird in a park, uh, you know, the whole deal. Uh, anyway, halfway through that play date, he starts screaming, "Daddy, Daddy!" And coming up and hugging me like whenever I was not paying attention mm-hmm. to him. And again, subconscious, it was in front of his mother. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I have one. Mm-hmm. I have one. I know I know what he was doing. And I can only think that it was killing her, and which makes me feel badly. Right. But anyway, uh, that was the first time he called me dad. And it was weird. And did it stick? It did stick. And then about two years into having him... After the adoption was complete, the following January, um, he j- he just settled on pops. I don't know what he saw. Well, if he saw have a you movie, met you? <laughs> I mean, maybe he saw it in a movie or something yeah. or, or whatever. I think the kid in Boyhood calls Ethan uh, pops. Okay, maybe which he loved. He probably watched that movie twenty six times. Wow, yeah, a long movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tell me about it. <laughs> yeah. so I had to watch. I'll it be too. right back, honey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it, you know, it's just, it's been amazing and it's, he's, he's like me and he is like himself and he's strong and, uh, college has been, he really, there's he's so, a freshman. there's so much in foster kids that's so ingrained in them mm. that it takes years to get out of them being separate. Being the other kid, because you're just going to go to another school anyway. Right. Being temporary. Oh, I'm doing badly in that class, so I'll just drop it. Like, right. Like, you know, I mean, just the temporariness of everything. 
And it wasn't until senior year in high school that he really kind of blossomed mm. and came into his own. These are my friends. This is my house. This is my life. I'm going to take ownership right. of who I am. This is not temporary. Right. And now he started college last month, and uh, he's awesome. He's got he's on the tennis team. He has a girlfriend, and he's got a job. And so he, how did you, you drop one class? Well, but that's okay. That yeah. happens freshman year. We all year do that all the time, regardless. He's of taking it how next semester. Okay, it's all fine. So now <clears throat> you're an empty nester. Yeah, which is weird and sad. Not as devastating as I as I'm seeing it on other people, mm. and I think that's mainly because I never work at home. Mm-hmm. So I'm always I've always right. been I've always traveled through the whole time. We while we talk every day, we had always been apart. We right. spent so much time apart. Was he a set kid? Would he come? He would come. You know, when he was off school, right? He said he acted on white collar. Yeah, I wrote him a scene. He was amazing. Um, but yeah, he would come to set, but no interest at all. So in, let me ask you something. This is such a big jump, but I know that on white collar, you started directing. Yeah, television. Had you been directing television before that? No. And is that something that you got into your contract, or just over time no. you were like, I'm. I've been doing. This I just never for shut so up. Long. I just never shut up about it. I right. wanted to do it very badly, and it's it's a lot easier if it's your own show. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't to it wasn't to launch my brilliant directing career. It was just I was going to make a better episode, mm-hmm. and I did. Um, so that was great. Uh, I couldn't get one in the last season. They didn't have enough space. Right. Uh, we did a short last season, so. Then the only other thing I've directed on television was uh, I wanted to learn how to do four camera Mm -hmm. situation comedy, which I really kind of found out was really not my thing, but I did it. Uh, It's really like a short play in a lot of ways, and then the camera guys covers all of it. Yeah, I mean, what are are you shooting at? You have four cameras. You're shooting whenever anyone's talking. Right. (laughs) There's no. There's no fade in. But you figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. And I figured out. Well, this is not. My thing really, but that episode was nominated for an Emmy. What was that? So it was a, a kid's show called Girl Meets World. Mm-hmm. It's on Disney. Kids watched it, loved and, it. And uh, it was a great episode. It was a serious episode. It wasn't a jokey episode. Yeah. It was a dramatic episode and about um, autism. And so that was pretty cool. And then now I'm going to direct an independent movie. Mm-hmm. So that's my next thing. Basically, just because I want to tell the story. Right. Um. In my next show, if I'm fortunate enough to have another show, I will ask to direct mm-hmm. an episode just because I like it. Yeah. Um, but it's a I, – I, I just think it's just another – again, it's just another angle of storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my interest in it really. It's so just another way to tell a story. Before you go, do you have um, an audition story that you can share – that maybe at the time was upsetting. (laughs) (laughs) But now in retrospect, you can see maybe the humor in it. Does anything come in mind? Like if you were on a panel of like audition stories. Oh my God. I mean, I know there are, I've worked for so long. There's so many of them. Does one pop into your head? I mean, the first that when you said it, 
but it ended up with a happy ending. That's so, a, it can have okay. a happy. It's not about an unhappy ending. It's the story. Yeah. Well, you know, when I first moved to California, I was so anxious um, to to get work, uh, and I was worried. So I made I made a deal with my father. Okay. I graduated college a year early, and so I said, "Okay, you." Um, again, I was. A shyster. Sure. Of course, I was making a deal. Yeah. You so know, said, Willie, okay. if you mix blue yeah, and exactly. red, you get so purple. So I said, okay, I graduate early. Wesleyan is expensive. So let's cut a deal. Give me $1,000 a month for 12 months. Right. I think Wesleyan was about twenty five or 30000 at the time. Mm-hmm. So he's saving money. Still a savings. And I could live on that. And you know, plus bartending jobs and whatever, I could, I, but I could get by on that in California, which was cheap at the time mm-hmm. to live there. Um, I probably auditioned. I'd gotten my card so, to being an extra in New York, mm-hmm. but I never got a real part on a commercial. I had auditioned probably for ten thousand commercials in New York. I think maybe once I was put on a veil. Maybe. It's the best feeling. Okay. Yeah. I get to California and I get a commercial agent, a junkie a junkie mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. And and I go on an audition for La Tigre Sportswear, which is like cheap Lacoste. Sure. It's, it's a, a tiger. Orange tiger. It's a tiger instead of an alligator. Yeah. And um But from far away, who can yeah, tell the exactly. difference? Exactly. Yeah, you don't know that you bought that at Kmart. <laughs> and so I uh, I go to the audition, and it was dancing to rock music straight into the camera. And I did it, and I get a call. You got a call back. I'm like, oh my god, I've never had, a, I've never had a call back. This like amazing. this is the most exciting my time. thing ever. I get there early because I go every place early, mm-hmm. and I get there, and there there's no one there yet, and. They come in. The casting woman comes in, and she sees me sitting there, and she goes, what are you doing here? And I said, I'm here for my callback, like for the Tigre. And she goes, you didn't get a callback. I said, what are you talking about? She goes, yeah, you're with uh, Leanna Levy. Like, yeah, you didn't get a callback. You, you, you should go home. You're not here. I literally started crying. <laughs> I started crying. I go to the payphone and I call the agency and I'm like, I why did you do this to me? I didn't get a call back and I put my whole day together so that I could come to this call back. I was so excited. While I'm on the phone, the director and the agency producers are walking through and the director sees me and goes, Oh, it's so great to see you. I can't wait to see you inside. I'm glad you could make it. What? For your callback. What? I swear to God. Oh, my God. I swear to God. And I got it. And I got the commercial. Yes, you did. Yes, I did. This is my first commercial. My first commercial. And and so you were dancing in the commercial also? Yeah. And it happened. Yeah. And it aired. Oh, yeah. And you got got residuals. Yeah. Yeah. So... When you walk I back mean, most, in, most of these, most of the the nightmarish audition stories. Mm. I mean, there's a very big director 
I have one from film yeah. that I'll tell you. Yeah. It's a very big director, fancy, fancy director. I won't say who it is. Mm. And he was making a movie, and he's an, he's an asshole. Everyone okay. knows he's an asshole. He's famous for being an asshole. Not the one you went to college with. No, although he's rough. Yeah. And then, so I go in for the movie, and he's looking at my resume. He doesn't know who I am or anything. He shouldn't have. I wasn't mm-hmm. famous or anything. And he looks, and he goes... Oh, uh, being John Malkovich. He goes, uh, what'd you play in that? I said, oh, well, I played this guy who's obsessed with Malkovich, and we actually, we improvised this scene, um, because I'm, I'm friends with Spike Jones, and he asked, he asked John and I just to do, he goes, hold on a second, you're friends with Spike Jones? I said, yeah, he's one of my closest friends. Really? Because I'm incredibly good friends with Spike Jones. I said, oh, that's that's great. He had done a movie with Spike Jones, by the way, this guy. And uh, I go, oh, well, great. So anyway, he goes, so hold on a second. If I picked up the phone right now and called Spike Jones, he would say that he's friends with you. I'm like, yeah, why, why would he not? And it became that. That was what my meeting was about. And it was a snotty meeting. I read. I was fine. Whatever. Next thing I know, I leave. I'm put on a veil for the movie. I didn't get it mm-hmm. later. But it was like, what? He hated me. Right. He hated me. He was angry at me. And you I was friends actually with hated him. Yeah. So, so. the point is... The things that we think we understand, I'm going to deduce yep. from this experience that I will never see this person again. And then you're, and then they're like putting your headshot up on the wall I, as a possible which casting. Is, which is choice. amazing because I've seen him at like Vanity Fair party or right. something, and he's been like totally pleasant to me. Right? Who is it again? I can't tell you. <laughs> There's an the only other one I'll tell you is a commercial. Yeah. It was a commercial callback for Diet Soda. And the gag of the commercial was the guy at the party is not drinking the diet soda. And he takes one sip and he's got underneath a fat suit that pops. Explodes. Right. That, so literally anyone can do it. There's mm-hmm. no lines or anything. Although I did a lot of soda commercials. I'm right. very good at drinking soda. Oh, good. Like I look really good little drinking soda. Little known fact. Yeah, little known fact. Yeah. So we go to the callback and there's like 100 people. For the callback. It's like, really? Pick one. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. Right. And Who fits in the suit? And they're late. Uh-huh. They're like two hours late. We're, on, we're in SAG uh, audition Overtime pay. now. Yeah. Yeah. For, and it was ridiculous. We go in. I, I, get, I finally get called in. Like literally two hours after my time. Right. I go in and you stand on the line. You turn to your right. You turn to the left. And then the snotty English director goes, so... Tell me about your training. I'm like, I'm sorry, for what? Your acting training. I'm like, oh, I studied at the um, School of Soda Drinking for commercial audition In a school? fat suit. <laughs> yeah. I, he goes, well, you don't have to be snotty. I'm like, yeah, I do. This is what you're wasting people's time with? Right. You still have 40 people waiting right. out there. you're ridiculous. What, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, are you out of your mind? And he's like, well, you don't have to be a jerk about it. I said, yeah, I kind of do. Because yeah. people's time is valuable, and they're here to actually get a job. And whatever. I leave. 
Half hour later, I'm booked. <laughs> booked for the commercial. I get on set. I know his name. I'm not going to say his name. Oh my God. I get on Michael set. Bay? No, no, no. No. He's a director <laughs> for Ridley Scott's company. Okay. I get on set. So he's a, so he's a fancy English, yes. some video guy. Yes. And I get on set. I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. What, a, a, why? Right. And B, why am I here? Yeah. And he goes, of all those people, you were the only one who finally showed some personality <laughs> in the room. <laughs> like, Maybe and I'm it like, was anger. is that what you had to do? That like that—that that was your point. That like, was it. <laughs> I said, okay. So now I do what? I sip the soda, and the fat suit explodes. Great. Let's let's get that. Yeah. Let's get on with it. With <laughs> your training, yeah. and your certification from drinking soda acting. My school. deep training at uh, Bob's commercial training. Willie Garson. I just have to tell you, on behalf of the planet, <laughs> thank you for two things. Being, I'm not going to cry, but I kind of want to. You're such a loyal friend. Oh, and I And I have felt your friendship and support wherever you are, wherever you are emailing me from, mm. uh, all of these many years. And I cannot tell you how much it means to me. Oh, that's very sweet. And so that's the personal. The global is your work has made people so happy for truly decades. And that's an extraordinary thing to bring that kind of integrity and passion and seriousness to every single job, whether it was a money job, whether it's a, a guy drinking a Coke in a fat suit, <laughs> but like literally like the integrity with which you work. Um, and, and I think aside from being likable, the reason you are a repeat offender on the films of so many people mm. in television shows is um, your work ethic is extraordinary. And the things you do for charities all over the world mm. with um, the kind of fun that you bring to it, even when it's really hard subject matter, has just been really inspiring to me. So I get to say that out loud on my podcast. It's really the only reason I started this show is that I could finally have you in here and tell the world <laughs> how grateful I am that you are on this planet with us. So thank oh, you. Thank you for having me. And it's I've been I've been really blessed and I take it very seriously. So yeah. Thank well, you I love that. you very much. Thank you. I love you too. Clouds can make the wind blow. Bugs can make the grass grow. So Hey, I am so excited to share some news with you guys. For the last few months, I've been working on another project that I've been calling Little Known Facts 2.0, Stage Network, an incredible new streaming platform which promises to be Netflix for theater lovers, asked me to do Little Known Facts as a filmed series, a talk show, as it were, in front of cameras. And I really thought about it for a long time because the thing that's made this podcast so special is that all of my guests have been able to share deep, intimate truths about their lives because we are in this tiny, comforting, confessional that is the podcast booth. And I really had to think hard, could I still deliver the same kind of intimate, raw, hilarious, and unique interviews if cameras were involved? But I think I figured it out. I created a really beautiful set uh, with very little technology around to distract me or my guest. And somehow through um, 
the miracle that is uh, modern technology where cameras can be really far away and capture really intimate moments at the same time. We've done it. And I'm so grateful to Stage Network for allowing me to make my dream of sharing incredible friends with you in this whole new way. So I shot six episodes. The first one uh, is with Ben Platt. Other guests include Celia Keenan-Bolger, Zachary Quinto, George Salazar, Nikki M. James, John Slattery, and on and on and on. And I cannot tell you how thrilled I am to share them with you. Stage Network really is an amazing place. Not only is it filled with incredible original content, uh, it has licensed so much theater-related content, documentaries and films and all sorts of incredible programming. I feel like I dreamed up a network and someone else created it, and here it is. And the fact that I'm involved in even a small way with this incredible, incredible network is just truly an honor. So to that end, uh, to watch all of the content, including Little Known Facts, the series, go to watchstage.com. You can start your free trial today, but you guys, it is only $4 a month if you sign up in earnest. That is nothing when you think of what you're going to get for it. I can't believe this place exists. I can't believe Little Known Facts is a film series. I will continue to do my podcast every week for you, but it is really exciting to go on this whole new adventure with you. So go to watchstage.com. That's watch, W-A-T-C-H, stage.com. Enjoy, and I hope you like it. Hey everyone, new episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind the scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Little Known Facts is edited by Nicholas Klar and recorded in New York City. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.